As a disclaimer, this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional from any such conditions. Well, welcome everybody. Uh, so excited for tonight's guest, Amanda Hill, um, a healthcare attorney based out of Austin, Texas, uh, dealing you know with um, Austin, Texas. Hoorah! Uh, One of the fastest growing cities in the country. Incredible, yeah. So, but no, um, it's you know we've we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. I know we've been missing each other here, but finally we get to join uh, join t- together tonight to uh, hopefully uh, chat about some cool stuff and just eager to learn a little bit more about you and your journey and, you know, hopefully give some of the physicians watching, um, you know, just some snippets, some content. I know that you have a lot of really cool new projects on the horizon and things that, you, you know, you've started that we're eager to learn more about and just chat through a little bit. I can't wait. So without further ado, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is super fun. I love talking to doctors. It's my favorite thing on earth. So, you know, here I am in my my fun zone. We're going to chat about legal issues that affect doctors. What could be better? (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) It's so funny. As you said that, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, just watch what you say tonight, please. (laughs) Yeah. Good thing there's not a heart rate monitor on me right now. I am writing this down. Everything you tell me. No, and there's no bill at the end, which is the best part about talking to me on a podcast. Well, we could we could do dinner while we're doing this, if that makes you more comfortable. Or we'll, we'll, we'll have something door dashed over. So I guess Amanda, you know, as we start with all of our guests, kind of the thirty thousand foot cliff notes version of who you are, where you're from, kind of your training, your your work history, and what brought you to kind of where you are right now, which is guard my practice. Um, let's hear about it. Awesome. Well, it has been a journey. I'll tell you that much. Um, I started out really with high ambitions. I mean, I thought, you know, federal judge, prosecute crime, you know, trial lawyer 101. That was my whole goal. And I interned with the Texas Supreme Court. You know, I was like, there was nobody more ambitious than me. You know, (laughs) and then, and what happens is that life takes so many different turns than you'd expect. Right. And you realize that certain things that you thought were the dream, you know, you push for, you push for, sometimes it doesn't happen and you have to redirect. And I ended up getting my first job at the Department of Veterans Affairs of all things. 
because I landed in a town called Waco, Texas, because my ex-husband at the time was going to law school there and we were sort of stuck there. <laughs> so I thought, where am I going to get a job? You can't get a federal judge. You know, you can't be a U.S. attorney in a little town, you know, right out of the law school bucket. So it was an adventure. And when I started at the VA, I'll tell you what, you know, this was before EMR. This was reading Hen Scratch. And my very first case was someone who had IV contrast put in their arm for an MRI. And it blew the vein and all the contact, you know, contrast medium went all over and it caused massive problems in his arm and almost had to have it amputated. And I thought, well, this is a new oh my gosh! This is very different, right, from reading cases. And something just switched. I thought, I really like this. I really like working on these cases and trying to see it from the doctor's perspective. I was getting to travel to all these different VA hospitals. And I think it was right then that I thought, I never really thought of this as a career. You know, I really thought I would just go be a nerd. And now I realize that I can help these doctors sort of defend themselves because they were desperate for help. And then I left the VA and saw all different worlds of doctors, private, public, you know, in entrepreneurial government. So I've seen every slice of a doctor that you can imagine in the last 24 years. And it's been a real journey to kind of travel through, you know, all of those different places and see how the doctors handle things differently. You know, some sort of get really defensive. Others are so thankful. And it's been, it's been a fun journey. But I'll tell you, when I started at the VA, little did I know that this is where my career would end. <laughs> but here I am. Well, I mean, is your career ending? You still got a lot of years left, right? Well, I hope so. But I mean, I didn't know I'd even get to this. Point. <laughs> you told me when I started my practice, you know, that someday you'll have your own law firm and then you'll start a product-based business. I would have thought you were crazy. I didn't have that kind of, you know, independent spirit. I was always sort of felt like I needed someone else to be the expert. And I think the scariest part, I think this pertains to doctors as well. When you have to go start your own practice of any kind in the professional world, you sort of jump in, you know, half cocked. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. I hope it does. I don't know if the patients are going to come. I don't know if my clients are going to come. And you just have to use, you know, all of your bravado to go and do it. Even if you're not quite ready, even if you don't think you have all the expertise in the world. And I think that there was a turning point in my life. Um, it was about 13, 14 years in the practice. And I had done the government, I'd done the private sector and the public sector, and, and I was on a TV show, okay? That was really a fun adventure. I was on reality television, of all things, and I went to New York, and I tried oh, wow. out this job, and I thought, you know, this is what I enjoy doing. It's this creative side, right? The, the really getting out there and using my marketing degree, and, but also I really like being a lawyer, and like, how do I combine all this together? And it finally hit me that, you know what, I've got to get out of working for somebody else. I have to get out of an office where I just answer questions and sort of say, yes, sir, and show up to meetings. And I have to sort of put all this stuff together. And so that's when I started my own law firm. And it was like the world opened up. You know, I became less of like sitting on an ivory tower telling people, kind of, I think you should do this or that, to, wow, I get to do whatever I want in this law firm I've created. You know, I can reach out, I can do training, I can really help, I can be vibrant, I can be creative. And I think that was a real changing moment for me when I sort of took that shift. And I've seen doctors do it too, right? They're in this big institutional model, sort of like marching along. And then one day they realize, oh my gosh, 
I can start something on my own. And it's really fascinating to see the transformation that they take. So I enjoy that process. Well, it's interesting too. Like, and, and I've seen it, you know, in, in, in my career and other folks that we've had on the podcast and obviously knowing Dr. Molly for all the years that I've known him, just kind of taking that personal onus, right? It's like one of those things when it's yours and it's your ideas and, you know, it's like you said, your creativity and kind of your ideas and really taking those and, and growing them and building them. I don't know. It's just, for me, it's just always been like, it's a little bit more personal that way. And when you have that kind of personal, you know, okay, this is totally not that, you know, you're working for someone else that reflects on you, but like you said, it's this big organization. You're, you know, have your marching orders and you're kind of just following the beat to the drum of, you know, whatever, you know, they suggest it should be when you're the one making the tune, right? I mean, you just, I don't know, you care more or you're vested more, you know what I mean? And it's just the outcome is always different from my perspective. Yeah, I, I was, you know, I've been following you here for several months on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, one of the things that really kind of uh, struck me kind of at my core was some of the very personal stuff. I mean, you're obviously not naming any clients or things like this, but it was just a couple of days ago, you had a post uh, about a physician that, um, you know, was, was, was burned out, um, ended up getting into some chemical dependency issues and uh, thought that they were kind of done right in their career. And you don't really ever hear attorneys kind of talk like that. Like you sound more like a real person, um, almost like a, a coach, so to speak, as opposed to, um, just the attorney that's like by the book type of stuff. Like you make this into like a, a re you recognize you, you, uh, relate to the physician and, and give hope that this isn't over, right? There's a different chapter and you can take control of that. And, um, we're the narrators of our own, you know, biographies. So, um, l let's, let's make it what we want to make it and, and change that narrative. And it sounds like that physician that you were helping out, uh, to get privileges at a, a new facility was able to write his own story. Right. And, and change the ending, so to speak, which well, is very powerful. I'm, I'm a storyteller. I mean, I think the world is better in stories. And so when I look at my client, I'm always trying to figure out how to advocate for them and how to create them as a story, whether you're, they're interviewing for a job, whether they're you know negotiating for something that they want or whether they're trying to convince the hospital to give them privileges. But, you know, I've heard the worst of the worst and half the time I'm in a hoodie, you know, I'm not the traditional lawyer in the suit, right? In the fancy mahogany office. I'm sitting here in workout clothes, listening to doctors crying in my ear, you know, 6 a.m. before surgery, at night, on Sunday afternoons, you know, in a panic. Oh my gosh, Amanda, you have to call me right now. There's a crisis. And they act like no one else has ever gone through that, that particular issue. And I'm like, I've seen this <laughs> five or six times and you're going to be okay. And, you know, they call us attorneys and counselors at law, right? And I think the counselor part is coming in more after COVID than I've ever seen before. And a lot of it is just normalizing it, right? It's like, okay, if I can get a doctor through a situation that probably would have brought anybody else down and we can get you through this, it's really important for you to know that no matter what situation you're in, and I've seen some real big jams, right? Where doctors are like, um, so CBS is calling, also the FBI, is that a problem? <laughs> yes, yes, that's a problem, right? But if you're in a situation you think you can't get out of, you know, there's 
always a future. There's nothing that's really going to sink you. And I think with the suicide rates and the depression, and it's just, it sucks you under because a lot of doctors think, I worked my whole life to get here. And because of my mistake or my naivete or some error I made, everything is gone. You know, my family will be destroyed. My life will be gone. My prestige and my power and my reputation will be ruined. And you, they're keeping that on their own head. And sometimes it's my job to say, take a breath. Let's look at the legal crisis you're in, you know, and the personal crisis you're in. And let's just one step at a time, right? One brick at a time. We're going to get through this. Is it going to cost you? Yes, it might. But, you know, money is just paper. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to slit your throat. So we're going to get through it. You're going to pay some money. It's going to be done. And you're going to make that money back. You're going to rebuild. And so I'm very passionate about that. In fact, I could talk all day about doctors and trying to motivate them because I really want you guys to be around. I mean, we need good doctors that care about people. And everyone makes mistakes. It's just in the healthcare context, some of them are worse than others. That, that is like hits at my core. Um, I, I talk about this all the time with my patients, with my staff on my other podcasts that I host because physician suicide rates last year, we now hold the number one spot in the country for uh, professionals that, that kill themselves. Uh, we overtook the dentists and now it's physicians. And it's really sad when I was reading into it even further that of the physician suicides, 28.2% of them are committed by orthopedic surgeons, which I don't quite understand. Um, uh, I think if I was going to pick a a specialty that was happier than any of the other subspecialty, I would think it would be orthopedic surgeons. We get to play with power tools and and help people out and usually very, very satisfied patients. But I mean, there's a lot of stress that goes along with it with a surgical subspecialty. But um, I I mean, I I just think that that is, it's so sad that these people, myself included, we've put so much time, effort into decades of our lives to get the schooling and training that we need to help people. And to me, I think it's a system failure, right? There's so many compounding factors that have led to, you know, decreased reimbursement, increased responsibility, whether it's, you know, having to get prior authorizations for this or that. Um, and, and then the, the hospital employment, just the pendulum swinging that direction where we've lost our autonomy and now we become puppets. And uh, people that have worked this hard for this long generally don't function well as puppets. Well, you know, I think the other thing too, is I think, you know, uh, Amanda and Ryan, both of you, I mean, one of the things I think that gets lost in translation here is, I mean, at the end of the day, physicians, doctors, whatever you want to call them, they're still people, right? They're humans. And so they've been thrown into this system where, you know, there's this preconceived notion, like you're a doctor, you went to medical school, you must be rich. You have no problems. You drive a nice car, you have a big house. And there's kind of, from, from my perspective, like this, this expectation that, you know, when I call you, you know, it's your responsibility to always answer. You need to spend the, you know, maximum amount of time with me, you know, that I require to, to be, you know, satisfied with your care. And there's, you know, it's this narrative that's been, you know, just portrayed, you know, for years and years and years where it's like, it's, it's all, it's give, 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 right. And there's no, you know, the take part of it from everybody else. And, you know, that becomes challenging day after day mm-hmm. after day after day. And then Amanda, you know, from your experience too, then it's like, okay, think of the stress of this too, because in a lot of these situations, some of the decisions that you're making 
are the difference between life and death. Sometimes it doesn't work out and, and you're, you're, you know, ultimately potentially not, you know, responsible for all of these things, but that's something that you have to live with. Right. I mean, that is, that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, just the whole concept of that is, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, for and then one... deal, dealing with your staff. I mean, you're, you're it's a lot. patient expectations are very challenging to, to meet uh, sure. each and every day. It's then you've got your staff's expectations, which I think since COVID has become even more overbearing. Um, the medical legal um, expectations was, and, and practicing defensive medicine, because as we know in the United States, more than I think any other country, you could probably hit on this better than anybody, Amanda. So, um, the, the rate of lawsuits for medical legal issues is is through the roof and that's stressful and and there's no worse position than to try to practice defensive medicine i mean whatever happened to just taking good care of the people and patients and you know the hippocratic oath that we took but now we have to make sure that all of our t's are crossed our eyes are dotted so that we live uh, leave a paper trail so no one can come after us and i mean the the world that we're living in right i mean People have access to all this information, whether, you know, it's, it's Google, it's reviews, it's this, it's that. And it's just like, you know, patients are coming in and they're like, you know, I, was, I Googled my symptoms and I think that it's this. I mean, can you imagine oh, the frustration, Amanda, if I came to you and said, you know, hey, listen, Amanda, here's the deal. Here's what I did. Total BS, right? I mean, so in this section of this code, if we do this, we should be fine, right? It's like, right, yeah, why totally. are you, you paying to come see me if you have the answer, right? So same it's the same thing, right? It's just like, no, they said on TV, this drug works doc. So, uh, can you, can I get some of that? It's like, come on. I, I, there's no chance that I could ever do that. Well, let me tell you what, all the things you just said. So, me, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. Yeah, we got you. Okay. So everything you just said to me reminds me of when, Think of a person that has margins around them. That's the way I look at it, right? In a normal functioning world, when the reimbursement's high and your staff is great and easy to work with and the job market has a plethora of options, you know, sort of everything is going well, you can sort of absorb some hits. But in this landscape that we're in right now, with everything stripping away, right? Lower reimbursement, admin time is crazy, the staffing model is terrible, you know, you, you're growing more and more frustrated and your margins are growing thin. And so what's happening is doctors are taking these risks, you know, to get more money. Oh, everybody needs a side hustle. I'm going to go grab the side hustle. I'm going to go make this investment. Everybody's doing that. And I have all these pressures, right? Because my wife or my family expects for me to make this living, right? And all of these, you know, people out there, you know, I have to meet all these unrealistic expectations. So I'm going to go take those side deals. I'm going to go sign up for that thing. I'm going to go do this medical director at a med spa or whatever it is. And when those go south, it's like, I, I have a feeling with my clients, they can't separate that. And they think the whole castle is crashing down, right? It's like everything is ruined because they just don't have the margins to absorb it. And so one of the things I try to talk about, right, is like, how do you build back some of those margins and realize that it's not your fault that you fell prey to a lot of these things. It's very difficult sometimes, you know, to know what is legitimate and what's not. Because, you you know, it's not like con artists open up their trench coat, you know, and like, boom, you want to buy our fake deal? You want to invest in our bogus company? You know, it's like, it's really easy to fall into these traps. And so you have to forgive yourself because that's what my clients are not doing. They're not forgiving themselves for making these mistakes. 
they're they're you know lashing themselves or making little errors because they don't have any margin to absorb it. And so a lot of the times, you know, I try to tell them it's okay, right? It's a, we'll get through it because if you can't absorb this hit and you go under, you'll take a, the huge shit down with you. Like you're not doing any any favors. So I'm yeah, I'm really it's really important to me, you know, to try to make them understand that, you know, you're not a lawyer. And sometimes these complex contracts are difficult to understand. And guess what? What if you got into a deal, you know, by paying $250,000 and you didn't realize that the exit clause was 10 bucks? Yeah, that sucks. You know, but it's just money. And no one no one has a gun to your head. And we're going to get you through it. And you're going to make another investment that's going to make you money. And it's going to be okay. But you'd be surprised because these doctors are so stripped of their margins. It might take a board complaint from a patient to set them under. It might take one Yelp review, right, that went bad, or one call with a spouse, you know, that just goes in this really off the charts trajectory, but I have to sort of go, whoa, let's take that down. Let's take that down to earth. Okay, what is the real problem here? Okay, that's not gonna ruin your life. Does that make sense? Like it's sometimes just a recognition. No, it you does. need to build in those margins, you know, you might need to take some time off and to see a coach and a therapist and recognize that, you know. This isn't normal. This high stress, like walking on the tightrope life that you're living right now, it's been, it would cause anybody to want to break. And so that's normalizing. Uh, it makes it's huge. It makes it makes total sense. And you know, for me, you know, it's so it's so easy to fall into that, right? Because it's you know, and Dr. Molly says it all the time. You know, in terms of like where you started and where you get to, it's like you're only going to be able to run on the hamster wheel, you know for so long until it's like, okay, I, I either, I got to change the narrative here or, you know, I got to look at a different sandbox to play in. Right. Because you can yeah. only do that for so long. And for me, when, you know, we partner on a bunch of different things, you know, outside of the podcast and, you know, we started talking about doing this and, and I was really excited. And quite honestly, I was honored because, you know, for me, it has been, you know, especially you hit the nail on the head, especially after COVID, it was like, having these conversations, getting the content out there, but normalizing it, like it's okay. Right. And we can talk about it and, you know, we can get, you know, some of these stories that you've shared again, Dr. Molly shared some of these links with me. I mean, you know, I, to, that's important because it's some of that stuff that goes unsaid. Someone doesn't, you know, they don't see it. It's like, Oh wait, there's someone else. Right. There's, there's that, that, you know, normalcy that comes along with, I'm not alone sort of thing. Right. And unless you have these kind of conversations and kind of walk down this road a little bit and, and talk about it, it's like you are alone. And when you're alone, it's like you just feel desperate, right? Yeah. So you guys each mentioned something that really resonated with me. Um, Amanda, you mentioned, you know, a life coach. And, and Travis, you mentioned kind of the, the hamster wheel, not being able to do this uh, forever. And we know the burnout rate in physicians right now is at an all-time high, along with the suicide rate. So. Um, what is it? I think that during our training in medical school and residency, it's very military-like and it's like only the strong survive, you know, stop your bitching, stop your moaning, suck it up, um, take one for the team. And, you know, my wife always used to say, to me, she's like, who do you talk to, Ryan? And I was like, what do you mean? Who do I, who do I talk to? She's like, you know, you have a lot on your plate. Who do you talk to? And I'm like, I talk to myself, right? Like who, I can figure this out. I'm a problem solver, right? And, um, we, we do need to understand that we are human beings. Uh, we, we have weaknesses, we have strengths 
And it is not a weakness when you need to talk to somebody. I started talking to a life coach four years ago and I talked to her every single week. And I had a brief conversation with her earlier today and, and Travis speaks with her too. And she, she helps my practice out. She's a, a consultant for my practice and helps with um, staff morale and uh, our leadership team. And, you know, she's great personally, she's great professionally. And I highly, highly recommend not necessarily her because she can't be everywhere or speak to everybody, but there's people out there, I'm sure yourself included, where um, sometimes these physicians just need an ear to talk to and, and to understand that it's okay. These things happen to other people, like you mentioned, that you're not the first physician that these struggles or challenges have occurred with. We're all in the same kind of uh, world right now of craziness with declining reimbursements, increasing overhead, um, which includes staff wages, which are, you know, through the roof, as well as their expectations and, you know, our administrative duties. So it, it's almost like the perfect storm for exactly what's happening right now, which is job dissatisfaction, physician burnout and, and suicide. So how do we switch that narrative? How do we, to, yeah. to, to me, it's a lot about autonomy. Um, I, I know physicians, particularly myself, um, that, that was the main thing that drove me kind of back to private practice. And the second half of my career, my goal is to really help swing that pendulum back. So Amanda, one of the things I really wanted to ask you is, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording today is if, if a, a young physician or say a mid-career physician comes to you and says, Hey Amanda, I'm very dissatisfied with my current, you know, uh, employment. I'm employed by this hospital or I'm employed by this group. I'd like to get out on my own. Like, can you walk us through the steps on how to do that? I did that back in 2017, started my own practice in 2018. I didn't have a manual. I didn't have a coach. Um, I kind of figured it out and maybe got lucky a couple of times and, and, and started to put a team together. But how can you, can you give us the manual for that? Absolutely. So I do this all the time. I start help doctors start practices. The first thing I always say, okay, is it's a business. Don't kid yourself. You have this great skill and you are a physician, just like I'm a lawyer, but you're starting a company. And there's some just basic things that you need to know when you start a company, right? Like, do you have some savings you know, set aside? If not, you have a business loan. You probably need to do a basic performance to try to figure out how you're going to survive the first couple of months. You know, do you have a lease for space? You know, so these are like the just bare bones, you know, where are you going to physically be located? You know, do you have any idea of a business plan or like how to run a company or do you have any money to start with or have ability to get a loan? And then, you know, we just sort of take it step by step. And I'm like, okay, so that's check one. You have a location. Check two, you know, you're going to get a business loan. You know, you set up your company. You know, look, you're getting there. Every step, you know, matters. And then we go to the next step, which is, okay, are you going to accept insurance? Are you going to be a cash-based practice? If you accept insurance, let's talk about what credentialing looks like and let's get those plans set up, right? Get lined up with Medicare and all your commercial payers. And then next, we have to talk about the policies and the procedures in your office. What I've learned with doctors is if I just have a phone call and I just spew all of that at them, they're like, oh my gosh, I, I just feel so overwhelmed. How does everyone know this? So I make it, I dummy it down. You know, I have a real clear checklist that I say, okay, start here then go here, then go here. And, you know, look at it all, take your time, absorb it. But you need to know that you are running a company. And so you're going to treat it just like any other business that you would start. The only difference is that you're in this weird insurance model instead of starting up a retail company. You know, we don't have to worry about it. You have these weird credentialing. 
sometimes doctors are like, screw it, I'm going DPC and I'm going to do all of it on my own. And that's a different checklist, you know? So you just have to take it one step at a time. But here's the deal with new doctors who want to go on their own. I'm a huge proponent of starting your own practice, right? If you don't like working with the man, don't work for the man. But you need to understand that it's going to take a lot of- Be the man. Be the man, yeah. It's going to take courage and guts. And like I said, you have to go out there and sometimes wing it because you're like, I'm just doing the best I can. And I had a client that, well, it was three surgeons that decided to form a practice. A lot of people, they say go out on their own and then they have a couple of partners, right? And one of the, the first thing they called me about was they hired an office manager that was terrible and they had to fire her. The second problem was we haven't been paid in two months, right? Because of the way healthcare billing works and collection works, they didn't get money for a while. And then the third time they called me, they said the billing company that they hired couldn't keep up and they had half a million dollars in AR and arrears that they were going to lose. They, they had some significant issues with their billing company and their billing company had waited so long and gotten so overwhelmed by the influx of claims that they were half a million dollars behind and the deadlines were passing and there's no way they could catch up. Right? So these doctors that are operating, performing surgeries are working for free because they're not going to get paid because those deadlines have already passed. And so they quickly realized, what do we do? And like, well, we terminate that group. We go with another one. Like, we got to move fast. Let's do this. Let's strategize. So having a team where you can call someone and say, hey, let's walk through this. This isn't working is everything. Otherwise, you feel like a failure. You feel like we screwed up and you didn't screw up. How would you have known that that billing company wouldn't have fulfilled their obligations? And I will say, Ryan, this one really hits me hard. Because as a woman, as someone who's out there doing marketing, it's like a sea of fakeness out there, right? There is a lot of people seemingly hitting every mark when they start their company. It looks great on Instagram. It looks great on LinkedIn. It looks like they never make mistakes. They're just killing it right out of the gate. And that's not real. You know, we need to normalize that. It's not real. They're going to make major problems. Sometimes they're going to be really big mistakes. Sometimes it costs you. There's going to be bumps in this road, right? That you're going to bump, bust a tire. And so if we can just talk about that, you know, it's, it's worth it in the end. You guys know it. You know, it's worth it to have your own practice. I, I want to do something that's a little fun here. Um, yeah. I just thought of this, but can we, can we do a little role play here? So sure. this is Dr. Bazell. Dr. Bazell has been employed at uh-huh. St. Elsewhere. Um, as a, as an employed hospital employed physician for the past two years, um, his contract is is coming up. He has a three year contract, so he's got maybe nine months left. He's got a non compete um, clause in there where he can't practice for one year, and mm-hmm. his his radius is fifty miles. It's pretty big. Oh, um, he specializes. We'll just Cardiac- say kind of what I do: t- t- total joints. He's a total joint orthopedic you're, surgeon. Be a cardiologist. You're not smart enough to be a cardiologist. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not smart enough to be a total joint surgeon either. But that's fine. But um, all kidding aside, but we're friends. I swear. He he he's done with the man. He's he wants to be the man. Um, he wants to start his own practice, but he has a family, and he's in the town where his his family is. His his parents. His in-laws are here. He's got new babies. He doesn't want to have to relocate, uh, but he's got this non-compete. He's either going to have to ride out. Is there a way to get out of that? And then he wants to start his own practice. So if we could just kind of go through step-by-step, like 
you know, creating the actual legal entity, what type of organization. So I guess first things first, yes. what do we do about this non-compete? If he wants to stay in that area. Where do I, where do I begin? I, lo- I have a lot of non-compete fights. So let's start with talking to you about it's, it's what one year, 50 miles. Is that what our fictitious non-compete is? One year, Correct. 50 miles. Yep. Okay. Yep. My first question would be, is it around every single practice location of that entity or is it just the place where you work? Because that makes a big difference. Right? We'll, just, we'll make it a little easier here. We're just the place, just the place where I work. Yeah, okay. the hospital that he currently yeah. does his surgeries the and his of, practice. It's the hub of the city, right? So got it. Well, there's a couple ways to go about it. One, you can obviously fight the non-compete and say it's too broad, it's not enforceable. Right? That's tough. That's like a legal fight that you have to have with the hospital, and you're likely not to win it. So the second question would be, what's the buyout? And a lot of times it's super high and people are like, there's no way I could afford that buyout. In Texas, it's required to have a buyout. Some states are. It might be a year of your salary, right? It might be $400,000, $500,000 to just get out of the non-compete. So put all these things on the table is I guess what I would say. It's like, what are your options? Well, you could breach the non-compete and you know go for it and see if the hospital goes against you. They probably will. I wouldn't advise it. I'm just saying it's an option. You could pay the buyout and then you're out scot-free. Or you could look at the 50 miles around your one clinic and go, okay, I can work somewhere else as a local, as a traveling doctor, you know, do pick up shifts, do on-call work for a year while I'm building my own practice. And then boom, after a year, I can start, you know, whole hog. Or, you know, you can try to show your leverage and try to negotiate with your current employer. I've had that happen, right? Where if they lose you, they're desperate and they need you so badly that sometimes you can negotiate with them to say, I'll give you extra time, right? Instead of the normal 90 day notice, I'll work for six months and I'll take extra call if you will narrow that non-compete down. You know, so there's all kinds of options. When I, in a doctor in your shoes, my first question would be like, what do you want? Does it matter that you're in this tiny vicinity because your kids go to daycare or school and you have to be here? Does it matter if you're somewhere else for a year? Because I have seen so many creative options that some doctors will go to the next town over, some will do locum work and sort of bop around for a year. Others are like, no way, I'm paying that buyout. It, it, it really depends on what your motives are. But if you wanna start your own practice, let's just say that you have the perfect, let's say your non-compete is even less, like 15 miles, and you find a location that's about 60, you know, 20 miles away, that you wanna start your own practice. And you can start gearing up for that while you're working. So it kind of depends on the scenario, but I will say one year goes by fast. I know, you know, do you really want sure to does. pay a million dollars to go buy something out for 12 months? Probably not. You know, you can probably do, especially in your shoes, you can take on-call shifts, do lots of locum shifts, you can travel around, you can do something for a year and it takes time to build a practice, remember? You can't just go leave your job and start seeing patients the day that you leave. So if you're going to build your own private practice, it's not a bad idea to go make extra money and travel around and do some work and stuff while you're building it and doing the credentialing because that takes a lot of time. So that's kind of my goal would be, let's get you to the next place. Let's get you to the where you really want to be. And let's backtrack from there. Because a lot of people are like, oh no, I'm not ever going to start my own practice. I just want to work for this other group. Okay, well, if that's your true goal, that's a different, ad- that's a different road that, we, that we're going to take. Let's stay with the fact that he's going to start his own practice, though. So okay. yeah. maybe he's negotiated something with a hospital. He said, I'm going to continue bringing my cases here. 
right? So there's your win as the hospital. You're going to continue to get my business at least during this non-compete year. Um, but I am going to build my own practice. I'm going to start my own practice. And you don't have to tell them your secrets. Maybe you're going to start a surgery center and do all your, your joint replacements as an outpatient. But I guess the next steps are you, you're going to create your legal entity, right? So um, I could speak to a little bit of this because I did it myself is um, uh, does it depend upon the state? Are you going to create an LLC, a PLLC, uh, an S corp? Like what, what would you suggest or recommend and what are the advantages to each of those? I would say PLLC. That's my favorite setup. It does depend on the state. Texas, for example, many states have corporate practice of medicine rules, which means you can't just go practice under an LLC. You have to be a PLLC, which is a professional entity, or like a PA, which is a professional association. So those are the two that most doctors pick. You've heard of MDPA because that's a very common one. But a PLLC is, in our state at least, has more favorable statutory references and it's easier. So I would definitely pick a PLLC. That's what I did. I did a PLLC. So you set up your PLLC and you write your company agreement. Boom, boom, super easy. Then you go get a business loan and you get a bank account. That's your next step. And then the very next step after that is to go find space. So you need to take a leave, a couple of days off from work, from your hospital, and go look around for commercial real estate. Where you get. And remember, you can sign a lease while you're still working there. There's no prohibition about you signing up for okay, a real yeah. estate deal or signing a lease. You're not practicing there. You're just signing a lease. So start looking for space now because there might be a buildup. What about your MPI number, right? Because your MPI number is, is specific to your practice, correct? Well, that's why you need the lease. That's when you got to get that space because the minute you get the space is when you start credentialing. And you could credential under your individual MPI or under your group MPI. So you want you can start doing your group MPI, but you've got to get that address. So you want that address first, and then you start doing your credentialing process. And and I can just tell you that takes time, right? Because oh, yeah. you got to get Medicare first, and Medicare's not quick. And then you can't get the 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 private payers until you get the Medicare. And then, I mean, this is it's months, folks. This isn't like six weeks. Right. Um, th this can take six to nine months no, to get all of your payers. They don't make it an easy process either. I mean, the site visits and everything else. I mean, it yeah. really is. I mean, it is it is a process, but. I mean, I think most guys would say, you know, once they have done it and gotten through that process, that it is ultimately it is worth it. I think the hard part is for sure, you know, money to come in, right? Because you bill and you don't see that money right away, and it takes a while to fill the coffers. <laughs> so I think it's just stressful the first couple of months until you get your feet on the ground. <clears throat> yeah, and your and your employees. I mean, they may be understandable, but they still have lives to live, right? So. Um, it's not like you can say, well, I, I'll make it up to you in six months when we actually start getting like paid that. for the services that we've rendered three to four months ago. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, you met, you touched on that earlier, man. I think you have to almost kind of Dave Ramsey it a little bit. You got to have some financial plan, whether it's a business loan, whether it's you're stockpiling stuff from maybe call you've taken, or if you had a hospital employment gig, hopefully you, you at least one in terms of the large salary for that couple of years and you didn't go out and be stupid and buy everything under the sun if the first year so now remember um, you can also get well, you know you can also get an income guarantee agreement from some of the hospitals which can really help out small practices so especially if this is a really much needed service you know kind of in an underserved area which is pretty broad definition trust me a lot of the hospitals will give sort of a guarantee for your first year so that they're, you're going to make sure they shore you up. So if you don't, you know, 
you start, you know, and let's say you're fledgling practice and you want to hire a second doctor, you can get the hospital to help shore up the salary of that second doctor. You know, so there are some resources, but you starting out is so really hard. So talk to, but talk to me about that. So if I'm, so you're saying if I'm starting a private practice mm-hmm. and, but I've committed to like bring cases there, they're going to somehow, somehow help offset my expenses. Well, okay. Remember, and you mentioned this earlier, Ryan, you really don't put that ever in <laughs> to, we're going to bring you cases because that can get you in some significant trouble with the problem. Sure, sure, so sure. Don't, don't put that in writing. But the fact is that there is an exception under the rules that hospitals can basically give a loan, right, to doctors if they, if they want to pull doctors in the area. The whole background behind it is we have an underserved area. This is a doctor that we need in this community. So as long as the doctor stays within certain zip codes for you know, a certain period of time, we'll make sure that doctor makes the money that they need. And that's really helpful for fledgling practices. Wow. Because you're like, I can barely afford my own practice. Can't bring on a partner anytime soon, or another doctor anytime soon. But with the hospital income guarantee agreement, a lot of times you can. So that's helpful. So just look around and try to figure out like, how else can I get income and funding to where I can build this practice? Because the quicker you build it, the quicker the income's going to come, the quicker you can pay your staff, all the things flow from that. And again, I mean, I would just say <clears throat> that probably has to be a pretty specific, perfect scenario, right? I mean, because, you know, we're thinking about these health systems that they want to employ you, right? They want to retain you. And you're fighting back and say, no, I think I really want to, you know, I'm going to go do this or I'm going to go do that. I mean, maybe they're not super motivated to, I mean, mm-hmm. to do but that. What right? if they catch wind that you're trying to build your own surgery center too? Let's throw that wrinkle in there. So they're not going to necessarily play nice in that sandbox to help you out. Well, what it might be is that they want, you know, even though this isn't the purpose of the exception. They want you to continue to go there instead of building your own surgery. They want to convince you that building a surgery center is not necessary, but this relationship with the hospital is more beneficial. So there's that. But the, the bottom line though, you guys, is you're right. Dave Ramsey, it's expensive. It's hard to get started. But it, remember, it's just a blip. You know, you're going in six months, you're going to be reaping the rewards of all those surgeries. <clears throat> and if you can just get by for the first six months, you're going to make it. That's the hardest part. It's just that first six months, you know, of floating the lease and paying the, the security deposit, doing the build out, and, you know, all the things. So the more you can defer, the more you can get a better interest rate on the loan, right? Make the landlord, you know, sort of throw in some of the tenant improvements, that kind of thing, the better. And please don't like immediately invest in a bunch of equipment either. The more bare bones you can make your practice to the extent, whatever your specialty is, but a lot of doctors think they have to start out with like Ritz Carlton level, you know, practice location with every bell and whistle. You don't. You can rent space. You can do a sublease with someone else to rent some of their equipment for a while until you can get on your feet. So you sort of have to be scrappy sometimes when you start. So when I first started, um, you know, I wanted things to look nice, but you don't have to buy the top, of, like you mentioned, the top of the line equipment. So we looked at, say, x-ray equipment. We, we found reasonable used units yeah, um, that yeah. were refurbished. Um, my exam tables, um, you know, those can be very expensive. Um, I wanted them to look a certain way, so I found somebody that could reupholster them um, and paint the bottom so they looked really nice. Um, we, we just did a lot of that stuff. I ultimately had the vision in my head and did build the Taj Mahal, 
um, several years ago, but that didn't happen overnight. That was a, a planned. Right. Uh, and I think that's one of the big, if I had to say to a young surgeon or again, a mid-level surgeon saying, do this in phases, right? This doesn't have to be done day one. You can have your goals written in pen, but have your deadlines written in pencil, right? You can get to where you want to be, but it doesn't have to happen right here. And there's going to be things that happen. Like I literally built my office during COVID. No one knew this was coming, right? I, I We broke ground just before the pandemic hit. Wow. Thankfully, and I built my office from scratch. Thankfully, I had all my lumber, lumber packages kind of already, the pricing was confirmed and we already had the down payments on that. So we got really lucky because the, the price of lumber went up like threefold um, at, during COVID. And um, it, the, the whole project got extended, but like looking for space to lease as opposed to building something new, making sure that you can get your feet under you. You mentioned the staffing thing too is finding good people, but not overstaffing it right out of the gates. Yeah. And um, I think the biggest thing too, is just realizing that this is, this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint and um, you're going to learn along the way. You're going to make failures along the way. You're going to make um, successes along the way. It's not always success and it's not always failure. It's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. No. And I mean, I think the other thing you were talking to just because, you know, from my side of the business on the equipment side, it's like, you know, a lot of these big companies and sales reps, sales guy, right? So, I mean, they'll always tell you, you know, this certification and, you know, this spec and this gam. It's just like, listen, all of the refurb stuff meet all of those same requirements. There are huge companies that, you know, five major players in the country that will, that do all of that stuff on a regular basis. How do you think that brand new equipment or that brand new x-ray machine or MRI, whatever it is that you're buying, how do you think when it's five years old, how, how do you think it gets serviced? What do you think? You just throw it away? It's like, no, there are companies that do this all over the country, but when it's new, right. And it's like, okay, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? And you have this, you know, big manufacturer rep in there. It's going to cost you this much money and we're going to have to do this, this, and here's why. And this is the warranty and this was, Oh, you can do all of those things without buying something. It's just like a car, right? I mean, I know that's kind of maybe not the best analogy to use, but you can get a you know two three year old Porsche for a little bit better than the brand new one for a quarter million, right? So, and it's going to run great. It's going to sound fantastic, and it's going to look pretty going by. It's kind of the same concept, right? So, all of those things are feasible, and it's one of the it's a that little detail. Like you just said the staffing, the equipment, not going Ritz Carlton, you know, day one. It's like those tiny little things. It's just those little snippets of just like hearing it, that reassurance of like. <laughs> you're right. Like, cause when you look at it and maybe some of those guys do qualify and you know, maybe they had money in the bank and it's like, they can leverage two and a half million bucks to do this. It's like, yeah, but you don't need to, right. You can minimize your risk, build it slow and do it the right way and not have to worry about the exposure right on the back end. Cause well, ultimately when you do that, you're the one that's exposed. One thing I will say, don't cheap out on is making sure your entity is legally set up. Because if that's wrong, that's going to cause you a lot of problems down the road. Like, don't skimp on, you know, making sure that your billing and coding is done well. And don't skimp on sort of the legal structure and getting all your policies and procedures and all that set up. You know, the other stuff, you know, short-term lease, right? Not a huge long lease, you know, if you can't afford to buy the building. Like you said, refurb equipment, everything you can tighten your belt. But there's certain things you shouldn't skimp on. I've had doctors come to me 
where their employment agreements are trash, that they have some employee positions, but their whole entity is set up wrong. They have this management company that's overbearing, that has too much power over them. They didn't go into it with the mindset that it's a marathon. And you're right, Ryan, it's a marathon. You have to look at this as I'm investing and I'm building something that's valuable. I'm going to start with, you know, something really solid and then I'm going to grow it. But, you know, you have to have the money at the, at the front end to really invest in it well. Because I have to unravel all kinds of nightmares. The doctors just throw in, you know, and they go, well, I guess I have to do this. Boom. I'm going to get some stuff off LegalZoom. I'm going to hire a bunch of people that know what they're doing. And they outsource a lot of yeah. stuff really quickly without having any oversight. Like, they can't read a financial statement. They don't know what their AR is. They don't really know the right CPT codes. But they're just going to hire some people and they're going to figure it all out. And I think that's really dangerous. That's that's so when I first started Whole Health in 2000, well, I started in 2017, but we opened our doors January 1st, 2018. Um, I was kind of like, we're doing everything in-house, right? We're not outsourcing for anything. So I was like, we're doing in-house billing. We're doing this. We're doing that. And you kind of start to realize like what you're good at, what you're not good at. Right. And I didn't realize how much money I was leaving on the table by having one in-house biller. And about two years into my practice, um, I had a consultant come in that looked at everything and they were like, man, you have left so much. I mean, a half a million dollars in one year of, yeah. of uncollected um, services that we provided. Yeah. And the, the suggestion was, why don't you just look at an out, out of house biller? And we started working with a, a group out of Columbus that that's all they do, specialized medical billing. And they really only work with orthopedic and, and spine companies. And yeah, they take a, a percentage of the collections, but they have four or five people touch, uh, touching our accounts every single day as opposed to one person. So we would bill for something, we wouldn't collect, and that would be it. It's like, oh, sorry, we didn't get paid. It would never get touched again. Oh, and no. so now we have a company... Yeah. yeah. So uh, it was just like, oh, well, sorry. But uh, to me, it was just like, that was just living to learn. Right. And, and quite honestly, yeah, it sucks. Never going to get that money back. But um, I learned the hard way and I can teach people. Um, there's certain things to skimp on. Like you mentioned, don't skimp on the legal entity. I would say don't skimp on the, the coding and billing because right. you're not going to get paid unless it's coded properly and billed properly. And you want multiple touch points, right? So if it gets denied or this or that, you need these people to continue to to work that so that you can get what you're, you're paid, uh, what you've earned and deserve. And quite honestly, it's highway robbery. I mean, what we get paid is a fraction of what we used to get paid. And we're actually doing it way better than we used to do it, um, which is the frustrating thing. But um, so sometimes you, the old adage of you got to pay to, to make money, yeah. um, well, spend money to make that. money. And I'm a huge fan of outsource billing, but what I want, what I preach all the time is like vet them like you did, right? Vet them, make sure, sure. that you do research, you figure out who else they work for, what's their track record, what they specialize in, because someone who specializes in orthopedic surgery is not the same as dermatology. You need to know they, they have to be invested in your specialty and then do your homework. And then even if you do think they're outstanding, but trust, but verify. I just wrote about that today, right? Which is, verify audit make sure that they're staying up with things double check with them meet with them you know it's the lifeblood of your entire revenue stream is your billing and coding like you know make sure that it's strong because there's nothing that's going to suck money out of your pocket worse than a bad billing company well yeah i mean it's 
I think it's just even more than like kind of, I think the terminology is, is tracing, right? So like just tracing these claims and things like that. I mean, in my world, it's a little bit different than, you know, private practice, orthopedic surgery or uh, dermatology. But, you know, like on the DME side, you know, one of the businesses that I own, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, we've got a great billing team in house and, you know, we're very fortunate that way. But I mean, we sit in these, you know, meetings or on these calls and they're talking about tracing. And, you know, I think that even the bigger thing, like the audits, right? Like having people that you trust that, I mean, we have my business partner's wife is, is like seasoned in this stuff and, and she helps us with, you know, a lot of those things. And it's like, you know, I'm a little scared of her. I would want no one other like yelling at an insurance company on the other side of the phone than her, like, and in like being aggressive to say, you know what? We provided that service. We saw that patient. We took great care of them. Whatever it might be from orthopedic surgery to dermatology to, you know, DME, whatever it might be, right? All these various things that we do. It's like, we provided a service. We provided a really good service and you're not going to pay us. Like, I feel like we've just gotten so accustomed to just, okay, Mr. Insurance Company, you know, you, yep, you, you know better than us. And it's like, uh, other words I won't use on the podcast, but get out of here. Like that's no, 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 no. That's not how this works. And it's just become so accustomed because there's no face, you know, it's just a claim submission. It's like, well, I don't know who Judy or Tom or Ken or Becky or whoever. And it's just like, you just let them get away with it. And it's just like, hold on. These, this is the same group who continues to reimburse less audit more, more take backs than you've ever seen deductibles. You think these people are getting phone calls, subscribers, Hey, guess what, Tom? Yep, yep, your monthly premium going down, deductible, getting better. No one is getting that phone call. No one's getting that letter in the mail. So they're paying out less money. They're taking back more money, and they are charging more. It's like, well, and the worst is flying around on the private jet, but. Well, the worst is they're saying it's not medically necessary. It's like, what degree do you have to tell me what's necessary and what's not necessary? You know, I'm the physician. So then you have to fight back and say, so like, you you, now you're just having to double yeah. prove everything you do. I mean, it's absolutely, I hate insurance companies. They're the mafia. I'm convinced of it. So it's a tough one. But you're right. You have to have someone who's aggressive. And sometimes even, you yeah. know, having a lawyer who can fight for you. I would take the mafia that. over the insurance companies. <laughs> yeah. Right? Seriously. I mean, at look, least they look, would be look fair. Nostra, I would take that over the insurance companies. At least they'd be fair day. about it. They'll take their percentage and leave you alone, right? It's, <laughs> That's right. But you're... You're absolutely right. It is. No, it's, it is wild that, you know, from, you know, I can't imagine on a, from a physician perspective, it's like, Hey, you know, this patient needs this injection or, Hey, we're going to prescribe this brace or whatever it might be, or suggest this procedure. And it's just like auth denied. It's like, yeah, I'm the doctor. Well, I, I wrote the prescription. I thought a prescription would indicate that there was medical necessity yeah, or else I would have wrote for a, it. Well, you know, peer to peer with somebody that's not really a peer. Um, it's crazy. It really I'm is wild. Fight right now. There's a, this, you know, practice in the border, right. Of Texas and Mexico. So this is a practice where she has a whole nursing staff dealing with kids on ventilators, the most vulnerable population, the poorest in the nation. And she has to pay premium to get this nursing staff to come in. And the insurance company involved is paying 68% of what they're supposed to be paying instead of 100%. And they have no excuse for it except to say, that's what the contracts, you know, that's what we're going to pay. Take it or leave it. And she had to hire counsel, threaten lawsuits, you know, fight, 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 and use all my advocacy to get the money back. 
Like, and this is the way the world is. Doctors are doing the same thing yeah. all over the country. And I think it's despicable. And we have to continue to encourage doctors to get out of that, you know, rat race and to fight harder and to either go out on their own. You know, it's, it's so infuriating to me personally that you put in all the time to treat the patient and you have to fight to get paid for it. It's, you know, I get paid for my time and you should be paid for your time. So I, I take a look, you know, really makes me angry. And I love going after insurance companies to try to get money because I think they're all evil. So I hear your pain. Yeah. I mean, I do, I, I say this all the time, but like just, I'm, I'll use a total joint replacement for an example, right? 20 years ago, we used to get paid $8,000 to do a hip or knee replacement on average. Um, today we get paid $1,100. Everything else has gotten more expensive, right? The cost of a gallon of gas is more expensive. The cost of a gallon of milk is more expensive. The cost of my employees' wages is more expensive. The cost of the implants is more expensive. The hospital gets reimbursed more. But somehow, some way, I've gotten better, uh, not just me, all of us have gotten better surgeon-wise of doing what we do. Um, these patients are doing better and it, things are lasting longer, but we get reimbursed less and we have to pay more to all of our employees and this and that. So at the end of the day, for me, I may make $200 for a hip or knee replacement, which took me 27 years of schooling to, to do. Everybody, again, has this misconception, misperception that we are, you know, bloody rich. Um, we get overpaid for what we do. And it's like, you don't realize what goes into one joint replacement, the amount of education before surgery, the amount of liability and risk that goes into that operation, the amount of preparation, planning, the actual surgery itself, all of the post-operative care for 90 days and any complications that occur or need to go back to surgery. Now, one more penny goes into our pockets. So I, I, I could go about on about that all day, every day. Um, I think we've beaten that dead horse. The, the other thing I would like to talk about, though, is pain points in a, a private practices. Um, and and th something that I learned was, you know, not trying to take on all these problems or issues as the, the, the owner of the practice myself. I used to sit in on every single interview that we did for any new hire. And the HR side of things just drove me, drove me bonkers, right? Like people... Um, you know, I love my my team, my employees, a lot of great people working towards a common goal. I get praises each and every day from our patients about your staff is amazing. Your staff is amazing. But uh, quite honestly, it's probably one of the biggest uh, pain points as a private practice owner is just staff, keeping people happy. I went from 14 employees when I first started to close to 34 employees now. It was me, single provider. I have 10 employees now, uh, five surgeons and five mid-level providers that I employ, and I'm the single owner. So it's gotten much more complicated as, as the, I mean, growth is great, but um, one thing I had to do was I took a step back. Um, I have a leadership team now that um, Travis helps to lead. And my, my good friend, CEFO, business manager, Sean McKinnon, um, they've kind of started to insulate me because mm -hmm. I, I need to focus on being kind of the business owner, the surgeon, but I can't deal with all the petty staffing issues. So Amanda, what, what are your recommendations there in terms of like, uh, do you well, outsource your human resources or, or what? First of all, I will say the reason that your practice probably is so strong is because you started out being really involved. So I think that was a good thing that you did that. I think the trick is when do you start to outsource and extricate yourself? 
Because when you start, you're naturally going to be involved in the hiring, right? You know, it's you and you have a scheduler, you know, it's you and an MA and that's it. And you have to sort of begin the process. But the minute you can, right, start to pull away and hire a team, you do it. Um, in fact, there's a couple of courses that I teach just because I saw the need so much that doctors are asking me the same questions all the time. One of them is actually called dealing with difficult people because staff can be difficult dealing with personalities, HR, you know, what is an employment manual? How do you deal with sexual harassment? Like that's part of owning a business. It's really hard for doctors. So I teach that course because of what you're saying because you get mired in all this HR stuff. And I have doctors on the phone with me all the time. Like Amanda, I don't want to deal with the squabbles between the front desk people. Like this is driving me mad. But I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. You know, because it's true, Check, it's hard. So you have to, you know, I think you did it right. That's the thing. You know, you the lesson I would show is you it's your baby and you have to build it with solid infrastructure and you hire yeah, really okay. good people. I hear this guy right? say this. Uh, I hear him say that at least three times a week. Honestly, yeah, I mean, it seriously. is my baby. It's still my baby, but at a certain point, you need to start to get some babysitters in there because you can't do you it do. all day, every day. You do. And that's the so, kicker is learning when to start separating and getting help. Well, I mean, I think this, at, you know, honestly, I know we're, you know, time and stuff. I, I, one of the things that I was so intrigued about with you, Amanda, specifically, and I think Ryan kind of started to delve into it. And one of the courses that you said that, you know, you offered, so like guard my practice. Like, I, I feel like I went through like the website a little bit and just like better understanding all the different things in like, it's pretty vast. Like there's a lot of content in there and there's like a lot of different avenues that you could go and like courses and things like that for, I mean, mm -hmm. I was even thinking like, man, some of these things, like just from a consulting standpoint, like yeah. better understand, not necessarily. So how does someone get in touch with you? Amanda? Yeah. Like tell me about, yeah, a little bit about that and like what that is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a couple of years in the middle of COVID and I was looking at my window and I thought, you know, there's just something missing. You know, I can't describe it. I mean, I'm a good lawyer and I have a really active practice and I wasn't, you know, hurting for business. But I thought there's got to be a way we can break out of this mold of creating a codependent doctor. Right. They call me. They love my advice. They love talking to me. They feel safe. They get everything. You know, we, we have to solve this problem and then they get the bill in the mail. So I thought, how is there a way for me to teach on a broader scale? And that's kind of where Guard My Practice was born because I really wanted to create these training videos that are separate from just hire me by the hour, you know, and utilize me as a lawyer. So I started to think about all the pain points that you're talking about right now, right? Starting up a practice, insurance squabbles, dealing with difficult, you know, staffing situations, you know, what, how to start really even relate to me as an individual doctor, you know, all the different parts of healthcare. And how lawyers should, you know, be able to answer some of the questions for you. And I created, a, this is crazy, you guys. It's crazy. I don't know what I was thinking. But I turned a room in my house into a film studio and created a total of 55 videos to the entire year. Not, a, not, not as crazy as That's what this is right here. This is my wine teller right. slash uh, podcast studio. <laughs> anyway, so I created 50, a whole year's worth of videos. And then I thought, great, now how do I sell them? So I've been putting these courses together, sort of piecing these videos together into groupings. And one of the most fun courses that we teach, I, and you talked, Ryan, a little bit earlier about a physician coach. I partnered with a coach who's a surgeon, and she and I teach a class called 90 Day Notice, which is the transferring from one thing to the next. And I, it's like this physician in transition thing is really appealing to me 
because I want to talk about where you're at now, the toxic job, the bad contract, the locked in the, you know, hellhole environment that you're in. How do you quit? How do you negotiate? How do you find your worth again? How do you let go of the past? And how do you do your new thing? And so we teach that course. It's three months long. And it's been phenomenally fun. It's fun to teach. The people are really excited about it. So we teach that course together. So it's just, you know, get on my website. I do have a lot of stuff there. I want to help doctors. So if you take one of my courses. What's your website, Amanda? Let me know. So that we can share that with our guests here. Guardmypractice.com. Right here. They'll put that right there. Jay does a great job. So. Yeah. Thank you. But I really, I mean, I really appreciate you letting me talk. And if there's ever any questions that people have, shoot me a note. Ask me. One thing I'm learning about starting this new company is that I give a lot of stuff away. My my thoughts, you know, I put them out there in the universe. I don't try to hoard them. We have to give the stuff away a little freely because we have community. And we have to start, you know, giving that good stuff into the world because it'll come back. You know, the more you give, the more you get. So I'm really, um, you know, agreeable to yeah, sharing no, a lot of my thoughts. That, that, that's how yeah. Travis and I are. It's yeah. like... There's certain things that you need to hold sacred, right? You can't just give everything away, all the, 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 the secrets, but, um, you know, cause there also, there's very little originality out there, right? Like the, the concept of something that's like, you're not the first person that ever thought of this. I'm not the first person that ever thought of this. Travis isn't the first person. So to be able to share stuff, like I had, I spent an hour today on the phone with a a surgeon out of St. Louis, um, that was, uh, in an employed position, but in a practice, he's a partner, but he's not super happy. And he's looking for some avenues to um, maybe increase his, his net worth, but like it, it, his practice isn't really well run either. So it's like, how, how do you support that? And I just kind of shared my experience with him. Hopefully I uh, motivated him and, and gave him the opportunity. I said, Hey, why don't you come out for a visitation? So he's probably going to come out in the late spring, early summer, uh, learn some surgical stuff. But like also he was asking about a concierge program that I started several years ago. And, you know, how, how do you incorporate that into your practice? And, um, you know, he's considering starting his own practice too, but that's really intimidating for, for a lot of people like myself. I don't know, maybe I'm just dumb. I like, I, I was just like almost so miserable in my, my previous environment that I was just like, uh, the quote that I always think of that really pushed me over the edge was what hurts worse, the pain of staying the same or the pain of change. Right. And to me, the pain of staying the same was just unbearable. And I was just like, the pain of change is temporary, right? That, that, that just is that, that initial change that you got to get used to it. You got to take that risk. And once you spread your wings and you take the jump, you're going to be your own boss. You're, you're not working for the man anymore. And then you've, you can hold the strings. Well, two things you said. One, you proposed a question. Am I dumb? I'm not going to answer that. The second <laughs> thing that you said, um, I love that. I love that. What is more painful? The pain yeah. of changing or the pain of change? Or how did you say the, it? The, the pain of staying the same pain or the same. pain of change? I love right? that. I love that. I do. I mean, it's just like that is 100%. If anyone you've ever, it's like, Oh, no, I'm not going to do that because it's going to take so much time. It's a the devil's. It's, it's what's like, the other saying? It's like you, you, the devil that you know, right? Yeah. So sometimes people just stay in the I situation because they're just. It's what they're comfortable with, even though it sucks. But then they don't realize that it can be so much better. But yeah, it doesn't come easily. Yeah, during a private practice, it was not easy for me. But 
man, I wouldn't do it any other way. And, you know, I'll say too, Amanda, from just some of the the snippets of kind of what you were sharing too, right at the end there is like, you know, for me, how I think, you know, my professional career has had, you know, a few different, a few different chapters, right? And I think I'm right now in the chapter of, you know, the kind of the fun time of, of what I'm doing, but those free snippets that you kind of talked about for me, it's just like how I've gotten to this place is, is value add. Like, can you be a resource? And again, it's just like, you know, working for, it's all relative, right? It's just like, I'm not going to get into the weeds on that, but if it's just like, if you can, you should. And there's a line where that goes to where it's like, okay, you know, and we all know where that line is, right? And we can feel it. And yeah, I think other course. people on the other side, getting that information can understand that too. But it's like, if you can be value add, be value add. And, yeah. you know, I, I can't remember who it was, but someone talks about this. It was, you know, a, a politician or somebody. And it's just like, you know, the people in the room who are willing to kind of go the extra mile and, and do the extra thing or be that value add again, I'm paraphrasing here. Like those are the people that get the opportunities. And so if you're not looking for that information, you're not giving that information, it's like, you're never going to get to that next level or overcome that barrier, whether it's, you know, transitioning to private practice or, you know, feeling like I, I need to get off the the hamster wheel that we've kind of alluded to, you know, throughout the, the podcast. But it's like, if you can't do those things, it's like nothing is going to change. So, I mean, you have to, you have to take that step. Well, so, Amanda, just to kind of wrap up. Yeah. Go for it. You know, you go, you go. Okay. The, the longer I've been in practice and the more secure I am with, you know, what I've done, I'm a lot more free with giving stuff away. If a doctor calls me in crisis and they live in another state and there's no way I could represent them, I'm going to give them 10 to 15 minutes of my time at least to say, Hey, how can I help? How can I give you some resources? And I think that's all of our goal, right? We have to give a lot, you know, of course we all have to make money. I mean, that's a given, but we're here to support each other as humans in this race that we're running together until we're dead. <laughs> you know, so we really have to yeah, no. keep giving because it does come back so many ways. And so, yeah, I'm here to help doctors. You know, I love it. It's my calling. It's my passion. Um, but also, you know, I really want everyone to have a fulfilled life and they shouldn't have to have a crisis before they change jobs, right? You shouldn't be at a near breaking point and having anxiety attacks before you go do something new. So if we can maybe hit a little bit earlier, you know, before they're suicidal, before they're hitting rock bottom and say, there is another solution for you. Let us help you get there. Then we're winning. Yeah, no, I, I personally, I love that because I know, you know, this guy sitting to my right um, and, you know, lots of other, you know, physicians I've worked with all over the country in my career. I mean, these are people who care. And just like you said, maybe I can't help you, you know, because of whatever, you know, state they live in, or but I'm going to give them 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, I know a lot of these guys, it's like, you know, the office hours are closed, but there's that one patient that just needs a little bit more. And, and, and they do, they always do. And it's just like, I wish that they, that was reciprocated on the back end, which I think is the premise of the conversation. It, it will be right. Karma is a, a real yeah, thing. And those people that you're giving that 10, 15, 20 minutes to totally free of your time. And the, the physician that I talked to today for an hour free of my time, um, it will come back in dividends. I'm, I'm fully, fully uh, believing in that because he's going to talk to somebody else and be like, Hey, this guy's a good guy. Like he talked to me his whole drive home. 
Um, even when he got home, he, st- he stayed in the car for 15 extra minutes to kind of finish up the, the call. And I mean, what goes around comes around, right? And good, I, I just think that good things happen to good people. 100%. Um, and again, oh, I just want to thank you for your time. I mean, oh, you're, you're a busy you. attorney. And to, so so to kind of conclude, can you give me your top three things, top three things that you would give to a, a physician that is looking to make that transition maybe into a pra- private practice model, like the most important things that you can do that maybe we didn't already hit on? So the first thing I would say is create a plan, right? Don't just leap off the cliff because you're desperate. Form a plan to make sure that you feel comfortable with this next transition. And number two, I will say you're, you have to have the realization that you're not going to get every single thing right, but that's okay, right? You're going to do your best to try to follow this plan and you're going to make some mistakes, but factor that in to the equation so that you know some mistakes will happen, but Amanda said that's part of the plan and everybody makes these little mistakes and it's fine. And then the third is, I think, you really just have to be bold. Even when it's hard, you have to be really bold and you have to take that leap because the thing that holds these doctors back, you know, all these fears, you know, they just get crippled by them. And you have to learn to let those fears aside and be bold and make bold decisions about your career and your future. So as long as you have a plan, you're not just jumping off the cliff willy-nilly, then be bold and follow that plan. Don't feel like you have to be held back and, you know, the, you know, the devil that you know and like, oh, I can't let anybody down. I can't do that plan. Go. Jump off the diving board. You've practiced this dive a hundred times. You know exactly how it's going to go. Jump. So I think those are the big pieces of advice. Yeah. And I would say if you're going to jump, jump, right? Don't, don't just like kind of walk off the diving board. Like, right. yeah, you, you have practiced this. You've done this. You've trained your entire life for this. If you're going to go for it, go for it. Double be, be, be calculated. <laughs> um, and you got to have backup plans too, because you are going to have those failures. But again, I just want to thank you. This has been a wonderful, wonderful yeah. conversation. Um, again, I want to give you some plugs on guard my practice because I think it is a great resource for physicians, healthcare providers to, to utilize. And, um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm glad that we all got connected on LinkedIn. I mean, it's when Brian sent me over the stuff and I started looking through it. I'm like, oh, this is literally perfect. So thank you so much for your time. I know it's getting late out there. You're, you're, you're an hour, you're an hour, by, you're an hour ahead of us, but, um, or we're an hour ahead of you rather. So, but, uh, yeah, thank you for your time and everything. And we appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks guys. Yeah, so um, just want to thank all of our guests for tuning in. Thank for all so those out there that want to uh, kind of leave comments, suggestions, we welcome them. If you have any guests that you are dying to see, um, please give us suggestions, right? We're learning as we go with this. Um, we've got a lot of good guests coming up. We've got several recorded already, but this has been a really fun yep. uh, process, you know, we're, we're, we're enjoying this, doing this together. And, um, we realize we're not the experts on very much, right? I can, I can show you how to do a hip or knee and I can kind of walk you through my struggles as a private practice physician, but, um, kind of the success stories behind that, but that's why we're bringing these, these amazing guests on. So again, thank you, Amanda, for your time and, um, stay tuned because we got some great guests coming up. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Well, have a good night. 
All right. Out.